Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Hey, this is Sasha and Courtney from the podcast Spoop Hour. We are a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two certified Halloweenies who laugh through our fear of literally everything. 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 <laughs> you can find us on the internet at Spoop Hour, S-P-O-O-P-H-O-U-R on Instagram and Twitter, or you can reach out to us via email, spoophour at gmail.com, where you can share any creepy happenings that have happened to you or people you know, or things that you've heard down the grapevine. Spoop line, am I right, the ladies? Oh, the spoop line. So come get ghosted with us, pee your pants because of cryptids, just have a grand old time. It's fun. It's quieter than it used to be, but I haven't adjusted any of the knobby things, so <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> like, I'm not a sound engineer. Yeah, That's yeah. Quite apparent, if anyone. I mean, Mac was complaining our sound quality was too good. So was he? Yeah. How, what? Is, how could that even be a thing? Because oh, that's okay. right. Because on a podcast, one person sounds like they're in the other room. Yes, yes, <laughs> I do remember that from editing <laughs> that episode. All right, here we are. Oh, hello, hello, everyone. That, this is our intro. Liz. Hello, five listeners. Get it together. This is perhaps it's you. We are an unofficial unsolved mysteries rewatch podcast. And that deadbeat Samantha is back! I'm here. I'm Samantha. My name's Liz, I suppose. And I'm also here. And we are, we're here to talk about some mysteries. I, I'm not... Kind of not, not wanting, looking forward to this not one. To, we are looking forward are. to you listening and, and being a part of the Perhaps It's You family. Oh, for sure. But... I don't particularly want to talk about this episode. Nah, this it one happens. Was kind of a dud. I feel like it's a, some it's people a, it's aren't real, gonna like our coverage of it, and it's a real mixed bag. This one, we'll see. But I'm gonna drink this polar water that was sent to us by a lovely yes, listener. Yes, thank you, Dorothy, for spending Dorothy? so much money to send us polar water. You, you are, are a, a saint among men, my hero. Dorothy sent us starfruit lemonade. It's part of the Seltzer Aid line, and. Pineapple pomelo. The starfruit lemonade is delicious, and not like any flavor of water we can get around here. So I'm quite enjoying I'm gonna it. I'm gonna try this pineapple pomelo one. It's so good. I just I love the seltzer aid ones, but they don't sell them anywhere around here anymore. Welcome to seltzer talk. <laughs> seltzer, seltzer. Okay, that's delicious. The pineapple, pineapple pomelo. Oh, I can't wait to try mine. It's like a a less sweet. Yours is gonna is, is oh. now a volcano. Oh. <laughs> How did I manage to do that? The pineapple pomelo got a little shook up. Well, I had a long journey here. That's cool. We only have recording equipment on this table. It doesn't matter. Um, Dorothy lives in a polar paradise and can get any of the flavors of polar water. really about. And kindly sent us some. So we thank you so very much. Um, I had a couple updates from the last episode. They're more of corrections. Okay. Correction number one. We confused, me and Mac, who was our co-host, while well, you couldn't be bothered to be here, confused Bobby Mays and Bobby... Billy. Oh, yeah. You called Billy Mays <laughs> Billy Blanks. Yeah. Billy yeah. Blanks was a real person who did Taekwondo? Taibo. Taibo. Which was a, Taibo, sorry. an exercise videotape. I can't get it right. Uh, I remember those outfits. If there's something you remember about Billy Blanks, it's his very look, unique... Look, he was, he was a cut dude, probably not from the Taibo, 
And he he, he wanted, wanted to show, show off those packs. Off. He wanted we to show off those packs. We watch those videos and do them in gym class sometimes. Oh, we did it for sure. And I, what I remember most distinctly is he would go like, now double time. And you had to do everything twice as fast. But it, clearly just the tape was sped up. <laughs> like they weren't doing it twice as fast. They were just like, they just sped up the tape of them doing it normal speed. And I have no idea why. Like he clearly could have done it faster. Oh, yeah. We did those. But you, you know when your gym teacher is a little hungover from the night before? <laughs> And need something Supposedly, for you to do. People have told me that gym class has improved since you know. I since find that hard to believe. The the olden days when I was in school and teachers were literally like smoking on golf carts while telling you to run the mile <laughs> and just like screaming at you and stuff. So yeah, just maybe putting in a Billy Blanks tape. Yeah, and maybe you... going like, hey, kids, uh, yeah, we're not playing dodgeball today. We're gonna <laughs> watch this tape. Maybe maybe that doesn't happen anymore. But in the nineties, it definitely. Did. Mm-hmm. I say this as a person who watched the movie Contact in school twice, <laughs> two different classes. Felt it was very important that we watch that entire movie. So Billy Mays sold OxyClean. Yes, Billy okay. The Blanks point was did Tybo. Uh, we were actually talking about Billy Mays, who sold cleaner, died, and was a jerk at O'Hare Airport. Billy Blanks is innocent of all of those crimes. <laughs> Uh, but we, we got the names mixed up because, I don't know, they were both on TV. And they were both named Billy. Both Billy. I mean, we kn- from we the same We knew era. who we were talking about in our minds, but we, we were wrong. <laughs> no, we said. The other thing was, we were talking in that bank robbery. I was like, I know there's a movie where they wear Ronald Reagan masks, and I couldn't think of it. And it's Point Break. Yes, it's Point Break. I, I am familiar with Point Break. If someone had said, Liz, what is a movie about two men who are obviously in love with each other and can't admit it? I would have said, oh, point break. But that's not what I was trying to think of. I was trying to think of Ronald Reagan masks. The Reagan masks. Yeah. So thanks for those corrections. Those came from folks in our Facebook group. Much appreciated. Clearly ready to strangle me. (laughs) No, I think. I went forth giving false information to the world. Despite that, our episode last week got a lot of love. Folks love Mac's voice. He refuses to believe it. Start narrating audiobooks or something. He refuses to believe that people. He had never listened to the episodes that he's on, and he refuses to believe that they're met with anything other than disdain. They were hilarious. I was cracking up as I was editing. He should be doing. He should have a podcast. He should, yeah, do something. Take advantage of that that voice crush. Uh, we were also talking about how I'm trying to get my friends to start a 90210 podcast, and then Luke Perry just died. Yeah. R.E.P. Luke Perry. That's unfortunate. It seems like the perfect time to start a 902. I mean, oh, come on. There was some love for that in the in the <laughs> podcast group. So you've got at least one or two two listeners already. That's all you need. We had five. Yeah, that's all you need. As far as we know, we still do have five, so. Yeah. I mean, who knows? After this episode, we're going to have two. <laughs> Just my mom and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any updates to share with us? No. Not really. I wasn't here last week. I was not even in the state. I escaped winter for a brief period. Wish it had been longer, but I can't complain. I mean, I guess you have other responsibilities. If you follow us on Instagram, you saw that I was in San Diego for a work trip. I didn't post a lot because I was there for work, but I did post some beautiful sunset shots of the ocean. I wish I was there right now. Yeah, okay, whatever. You don't care about this podcast anymore, I get it. Well, I came back to Minnesota, there was 10 more inches of snow than when I left, so fuck we this. Got 40 inches of snow in February. Eight more this weekend, maybe? And then now they're talking about next Wednesday, we might get more snow. It's going to be bad. 
I don't even know what to say. Yeah. Why I, won't it stop? I don't know. Our flight got delayed on Friday coming back. It was... This whole winter is just... Why didn't we take Al Gore seriously after he invented the internet when he was warning us all about climate change? Why didn't we take that seriously? Here we are. Now, I yeah, just live everywhere. Every sidewalk in Minneapolis is just almost like a tunnel through feet of snow now. There's like nowhere to put the snow that you shovel. We're experiencing this thing in Minnesota now where... You can't get around corners when you're driving. <laughs> you just have to kind of guess because if anything's there. You can't see if a car is coming because there's two snow mountains on either side. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's ridiculous. It's been bad. Um, I don't have any updates on LA traffic, so I guess we'll just, I just get started. We'll just get started. I, but the thing is, I don't want to. Neither do I. Also, it's a Tuesday, not when we usually record, and I just feel like it's already been like a really long week. Yes, it has. And Absolutely. But here we are talking about Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries. This is our dedication to you, dear listeners, and to Robert Stack, wherever he may be on the other side of the veil. So, our first mystery is an unexplained death. And it is the murder of Tracy Kirkpatrick. Oh, yeah. Who is a senior honors student who is interested in poetry and writing. Her mother describes Tracy as bright, but interested in sad poems. Those those things are usually mutually exclusive, but she managed to bring them together. Both intelligence and, it seemed like, very slight teenage melancholy. Yeah. So after breaking up with her boyfriend in high school, Tracy writes a somber and ominous poem to her parents, telling them to not miss her when she's gone. It was, yeah. She's a teenager. She's... I realize most people grow out of that phase. I somehow never did, but it's just a morose time. I'm not really sure why. I'm not sure why it was worth bringing up. At first, I thought they were going to go with like a possible suicide. It's because they put it on her grave. Oh, that's right. So it's like it's capping the little segment. You start with this poem. And then in the end, you see her grave has the poem on it. Which this is right. Do you have to pay by the letter for that? Because yikes. I mean, it was a long poem. So Tracy worked at a clothing store after school. She had two part-time jobs in high school. I was impressed. she maintained her honor student status. So she was going places. In early 1989, Tracy was assigned to close the store. Tracy was alone. About 15 minutes before closing time, around 8.45 p.m., we see her in the reenactment tallying up the day's till. Two hours later, a security guard for the shopping mall notices that the lights in the store are still on and decides to investigate. The front door is unlocked. He opens it up and calls, but no one answers. So he goes in to investigate. At the back of the store, he finds Tracy's body in the um, storeroom. She has been brutally stabbed. The guard immediately phones the police. Ugh. Yeah, it's brutal. At almost the same time, Tracy's parents, Diane and Bill Kirkpatrick, arrive at the store. It had been over an hour since they expected Tracy to be home, so they had driven to the store to try and find her. At the store, they learn of her murder. Absolute worst nightmare. Yeah, in the reenactment, you see the parents pull up and there's police cars surrounding the store, so they know immediately something's That reenactment is harsh. They're just like... It's just hard to watch, is what I mean. Yeah, like, them yeah. chit-chatting in the car. Like, oh, it's only been an hour. I'm sure there's nothing to worry about. Blah, blah. And then they, like, pull up, and they see those police, police lights. And it's just like, ah, oh, no. I know. So awful. At the scene, the police find no immediate motive of the crime. There was no evidence of sexual assault. And the story's cash receipts were still on the counter. There was no evidence of a struggle. This led police to believe that her killer might have been someone she knew. 
So detectives were baffled until three months later when a man calling himself Don phoned what Unsolved Wiki called a Las Vegas murder confession hotline. But I don't remember them saying it that way in the episode. I don't know that. I feel like I would have remembered that string of words. Could you say that again? A Las Vegas murder confession hotline. Is that just a thing that we people, have to have in the United States? Murder confession hotline. Hotline for people to don't confess worry. To murder. Here's a toll free number you can call and confess to murder. I think it was probably just Crime Stoppers or something, but that, they're calling it a murder confession hotline. I uh, so. kind of love it. It almost seems like an art project. <laughs> It's like, hey, you got some murders you want to confess to? Call us up. It might not really get you caught, but it'll help you get it off your chest. <laughs> You'll sleep a little better, murderers. So th- the hotline? I'm like, in my mind going, we should really set up a murder confession hotline. <laughs> How much is it? it's you. Murder, murder confession, confession Confess to these crimes. Confess. Confess. Maybe we'll catch a murderer. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> We can't do worse than these cops. True. What a, bunch of, what a bunch of jokers. The hotline immediately notified the police who thought the man on the recording sounded sincere. Why? I don't know. I guess they just were like, this doesn't seem like a prank to us. They said that he had convincing knowledge of the case. He did know, according to the reenactment, that she had been murdered in the storeroom. The man claimed that he was a regular in the store and would stop by to chat with her. And the night of her murder, he made like an advance towards her and she turned him down. He got mad and then stabbed her. It was like with the knife that I carry at all times. He has a very matter-of-fact, cold like delivery. So they play the recording for the show and it's it's creepy. It's it's something. It, it sounds like he's reading off a script. It's weird. It is weird. And I mean, I guess if you're the there's type of person, not a lot of vocal affection or no. affectation or whatever the word is. I'm and then at the for. end, he's just like, "All right, bye." Yeah, that's the weirdest part. He's like, "And that's why I killed her." And I'm sorry. And uh, a couple days later, I realized that I caused a lot of sadness. And uh, but you have the death penalty, and that's it. Okay, murder. Bye. That's pretty much exactly what he it's, said and i was like oh, wait you only realized you caused people pain a couple days after she was dead yeah but and maybe not not everything's firing quite right upstairs i doubt it so in an effort to reach don police composed a letter and published it in a local newspaper the letter pleaded with him to come forward police received no response but two weeks later another phone call provided them with an unlikely lead in the words of Robert Stack. You know Unsolved Mysteries was so fucking happy about this lead. Oh my god. Oh for sure because a psychic named Martha (laughs) Woodworth Uh came forward claiming that a man named Sean was obsessed with Tracy's murder and was constantly trying to contact her. She claims that she recognized the voice of Don as the man named Sean. Police have been unable to find enough evidence to file charges against him and the case remains unsolved. So, yeah, the result is On that... On the thing, they they said, basically, that they found who those people... How John Sean was, and it wasn't him. Yeah, so this is the result. It's still unsolved. Police have since determined that the man calling himself Don and Sean had nothing to do with Tracy's murder. However, they have since narrowed down their list of suspects to two people, including Don Barnes Jr., the security guard that found her body. Oh, shit. 
His daughter allegedly claimed that he was abusive towards her and her mother. She also believes that he was involved in Tracy's murder and had over an hour to cover up the crime. His father was the police chief at the time of her murder, and some have suggested that he covered up evidence in the case. However, this has not been confirmed. Fuck! A retired investigator who worked on the case in 1994 stated that he believes he knows the identity of her killer. According to him, based on circumstantial evidence, her killer was a friend of hers, possibly Barnes. However, he claims that, quote, politics and personal agendas and, quote, people not doing their jobs prevented the arrest from ever being made. So that's what they think, but possibly there was some police corruption. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, who knows? Don't sue us. No, please don't. I think if you just say that sometimes, then people can't. I assume that's how it works. Yeah. Sure, laws, whatever. So... (laughs) it's really sad she was i've been watching so much law and order lately and now i want someone in law and order to go oh apparently there is dna evidence oh shit so dna testing of samples found at the scene began in march 2009 it is not known if any evidence was. (laughs) okay that was a while ago her killer has not been identified or apprehended so maybe someday they'll figure it out but unfortunately her murder is unsolved as of today and yeah it's extremely sad very tragic and not necessary and senseless yeah her poor parents Oof. i know Oof, uff, not uff. a great way to start it out but i mean it's a it's a classic unsolved mystery story because you have this unsolved murder and then there's like a psychic involved for no reason like why did someone start calling a psychic to talk about this murder people are it's so random but it's yeah. just like very unsolved mysteries like the essence of unsolved mysteries was like and now here's a psychic for some reason who right. got roped into this we like sort of unwillingly like you could tell the psychic was sort of like look i don't know this person like he had to send her clippings about the case because it's like well it's not even you like how am i supposed to get a reading off of this yeah she was like not into it and the guy like kept calling her and kept calling her so strange anyway we're going on to a wanted now this is the case of steve wilson who is a con man slash murderer at what point did we have the update about amelia Earhart? was that between oh these two? yeah there was and i just wrote unnecessary amelia <clears throat> update apparently they found some metal on some island the only reason to even talk about that update is because our mvm i think is in that one okay so i'm gonna be honest with you okay and that's that i fast forwarded through that update <laughs> But you saw the, you saw the mustache. I like, saw the mustache when you posted it. Yes, I posted it in our Facebook group. But did I actually watch that segment? No, because I assumed it had no, nothing of I relevance. I actually in think it. it did bring some new information up that wasn't see, in the original segment. That's rare because that's but not what's been I was happening. So not into it that I kind of <laughs> was just not listening. And but a Mr. Rick Gillespie, who is an aviation archaeologist, appeared to tell us some stuff. And aviation archaeologist. He has a mustache that is very interesting because so it seems a, like he's shaved it oh he has he's like taking the top off the mustache it, yeah i actually the way you just described it i think i would call this mustache um fracking <laughs> that's a good one because he yeah he has a blonde mustache but at the top you know as it reaches the nostrils he's clearly trimmed that away which most people do i think a little bit but he's done it like a lot there's a lot of real estate between his this mustache and his nose i'm assuming he knew he was going on tv and maybe he messed it up a little bit and then he had to like correct it and he had to correct it more (laughs) at that point he was committed it's like if you're trying to cut your own bangs and they end up too short the mustache then 
you know, I mean, yeah. this is something. Well, I bet that's like a thing. He can't just not have a mustache. He always has a mustache. I guess. I asked people in our Facebook group to um, propose names for this mustache. I really like the fracking. <laughs> the fracking. But another favorite of mine is Jody wanted to call it the bed skirt. Yeah, that's appropriate. Which made me pretty much do a spit take. Another person, uh, Helen said lip icing. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very much like lip icing. It's also like, it weirdly is almost the same color as his skin, which a lot it's of people found unsettling. Uh, so someone wanted to call it the Phantom because it blends in sure. with his, his skin. I get that. <laughs> the toupee because it looks fake. I don't think it's fake. I, don't I think, think it's, it's real. I don't think it's fake, but... Uh, I don't think if he was going to get a fake mustache, he would have gotten that mustache, you know? Like, he could have picked any mustache then. The half stash. It is like half a mustache. Yeah. It's bizarre. Anyway, so, Rick, I think you get our MVM if you're listening. Congratulations. Congratulations, Rick. I hope you've kind of sorted out, like, your trimming situation. Yeah, like your procedure. I hope you're in a more comfortable mustache Maybe place. he was just trying to protect the top of his his upper lip. That's all he cared about. Look, Rick, get in touch. It's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. We have some advice about your facial hair. I've never had a mustache, but I've got a lot of opinions. <laughs> so write it. All right. Anyway, I've derailed you from your mystery. Oh, Continue. It's really okay. I just wanted to make sure we talked about the MVM because the rest of the mustaches in this episode, not great. Yeah, I drew one from that first mystery, but it's just a cop mustache. I just called it the search warrant. What up? Whatever. <laughs> search warrant. It's so boring. Okay. So this is the case of Steve Wilson. He, at this point, was missing. It's a wanted. He had been missing since August 3rd, 1984. So as the segment starts, we see Steve Wilson, who was supposed to be the super charming dude that everyone liked. He was very outgoing. He was very charismatic whatever and he was doing some odd jobs at a ranch in california that led to him getting involved with the like ranch owner's daughter callie thornburg and her father has the weirdest reaction to this relationship you can possibly imagine (laughs) yeah so her dad's name is bill and he like for some reason really wants them to get married i is it just because they did it I don't, I don't get it. She, she says, so what, do you have her quote? Because she no. said her dad, like, I wish I could remember exactly what she said. It was almost like, if she doesn't marry a man, all she's going to have for the rest of her life is her father and the ranch. Yeah, it was like he wanted her to branch out in her life and was really excited about this, like, romantic interest for her. But she said, like, even the day before the wedding, she really was like... She was dreading it. Like, I really wish I could get out of this, but it's, like, gone too far. And I kind of wonder if her father just, like, pushed her into this and then... It for sure sounded like it. And then she was like, uh, okay, okay. I look, I'm stuck now. Yeah, which... Oh, sorry, Kelly. Kelly is also, like... A really no-nonsense person. Mm-hmm. She's clearly super serious. She clearly really cared about the ranch and her father. And actually, I think if that had been her whole life, that would have been fine. Probably. Or and, anyway, let it was her, her branch out in make. her own way. Yeah. yeah. In either, yeah, either way, Bill, it was her decision to make. Well, you know what? Bill 
paid for his mistakes. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they run off to get married in Reno, and she's going like, "Ugh, I don't want to do this. I can't get out of it at this point." And the marriage is immediately a disaster. He's abusive. He's controlling. He, you know, all of that bullshit. So she leaves him and moves back in with her father just two months after the wedding, which. I God. Anyway. Yeah. Things things got bad fast. So she moves back in with her father at the ranch and Steve is making threatening phone calls to her, saying things that he would hurt her worse than she had ever been hurt. Steve goes berserk. That he would, would take away everything that she loved and leave her with nothing. Like these really over the top threats. Right. That sounded horrifying. And she's also like out on this ranch where there's not you there's know, nothing. There's it's wilderness. Her, her dad, yeah. and a bunch of animals. It's her and an old man in, like, the middle of nowhere. And he shows up at the ranch acting like a lunatic. Yeah, so he shows up, and the, the reenactment is hilarious, where he, like, storms out of this pickup truck and slams the door, and is just like, I want Callie back! He's strutting around. This actor yeah. is not good. <laughs> no, he's not. It's very, like... Does anybody remember that show Renegade where that that guy on a motorcycle would like come into town and then solve crimes? It's kind of like that. My mom loved that show. Hi, mom. (laughs) Me and my brother were cruel. I would never tell her when it was on. And I'm sorry. (laughs) So mean. Anyway, (laughs) that level of acting, perhaps the lowest level quite is, low. is, is on display here so he's like screaming i want Callie back and bill's like get the hell off my ranch understandably and he gets his shotgun and is gonna shoot steve because he's making threats and won't leave he and also then, grabs like a bat or something and starts breaking yeah he's like got a headlights. stick and he's yeah smashing up his truck and yeah just making wild threats and and you know, won't leave, and I don't know where the police are in relation to this ranch, but I assume they can't get there in a speedy fashion whatsoever. So, he's gonna shoot Steve, which I feel like he would have been within his right to do, and Kelly's like, no, no, I don't want this to get worse. Don't shoot him. Well, she meant well. Right. And I'm not judging that. She was trying to help. I probably reacted the same way. Yes, she's trying to help. Unfortunately, the next day, her dad goes missing. She comes out. He's a very punctual person, as I'm sure most people who work on ranches are. He's like half an hour late, 45 minutes late. The, you know, where the fuck is Something's he? Something's wrong. She goes out. His coffee is like still sitting on the truck. It's still warm. Which, that is red flag number one. <laughs> it's like, you know, all right, why no, is his coffee the here? Not just well, his, his truck is there. Yeah. His stuff is there. He's not there. Okay, that's on May 29th, 1979. He never comes back. So it's seven months later. On Christmas Eve, a teenager is riding a dirt bike 45 miles from the ranch and finds a skeleton. And if this is like it was in the reenactment, it's literally just a dried out, totally, like, nothing is left except the bones. Yeah, white Halloween skeleton just sitting in this, like, cavern and oh, apparently the teenager didn't think his parents would believe him so he put the skull <laughs> in his backpack what a teenager thing to do i know this is the most like teenage problem something like, no one's gonna believe me that i found the skeleton <laughs> i have to bring the skull i gotta me. bring the skull 
the most crucial part. So then he got home, and I'm sure his parents were like, holy fuck, oh my god, why did you touch that? Call the police right now. But, you know, this is pre-cell phone, pre-whatever. The police go out, they find the skeleton, they confirm that this is the last remains of Bill Thornburr. So Steve Wilson is charged with um, Bill's murder. He's on the run for a couple years, but eventually arrested in Las Vegas. Um, He confesses, and I don't think this was in the episode, but it is on Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, that in his confession, he stated that he forced Bill to dig his own grave before killing him. Oh, my God. What a sicko. What the fuck? Yeah. So he pleaded guilty to murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life in Folsom Prison, the famous prison of the Johnny Cash album. So he soon became... Okay, and I feel like this this part of the reenactment is probably really, really accurate where they show him like immediately like sucking up to all the guards and stuff because he wanted to be this model prisoner 100 so he's like sweeping and the warden is walking by and he's like oh why hello sir are you having a great day like what can i do best to serve you and i was like if if that didn't make the warden is so suspicious, he should not have that job. <laughs> no. He's you know not what I mean? good at his no job. No teacher, if some kid came up the first day and was like, why, hello, I have an apple for you. Like, could, Keep I, an eye on that kid. could I stay late and help you grade papers? And they're just batting their eyelashes. You'd be like, this kid's going to stab me as I go out to my car. <laughs> right? Like, it's too much. It's too much. But of course... No, this warden's a dumbass and immediately rewards him. He's only been there a couple months and he gets the most prestigious position of being the shipping clerk guy. Because this is back in the day when you still made license plates. You still were relying on prison labor to make license plates. So some they got to ship all those license plates out. So he's in charge of making sure the shipments come in and out and whatever. But that means he's walking around with a stupid little clipboard all the time. He doesn't need to be in like a set... There's less times he needs to be in a set place. He has more freedom of movement, is how they phrased it, for a prisoner. So Not a co- good. So a couple of years go by. He's, he's, he's a scheming. And he, his... It's really fucking simple. I hope this doesn't take him years to come up with. He gets two guys riding forklifts to crash into each other to create a distraction and just literally stands in the truck and has them put boxes in front of him of license plates. That's his grandmaster plan. And he gets out. He got out. It worked. And that was apparently modeled after the last successful escape from Folston Prison 15 years earlier. <laughs> they learned nothing. So, way to go on that. And then he had some, like, tin snaps or something that he took from where they make the license plates. So that at some point, the guy driving the truck, you know, stops to get a cigarette or whatever. He leaves the truck and the guy just snips a hole in the roof, climbs out, walks away. It made me go, oh, I could escape from prison. <laughs> this seems easy as fuck. I don't know why that annoys me so much right now. It's like, oh! It's annoying that this horrible dude could just get out, especially because we hear from her, and she's like, I live in fear yeah. that he's going to f- fucking show up on my door. Because he's out here. Pro- uh, he's this, a maniac. He's going to come kill me. There's a lot of people who do not need to be in prison, but this, this guy, guy for sure, for sure does. is a threat. Uh... And I think, yeah, Callie has to be worried about his her safety, but I also think this guy is just a con man to the core and would just go and do this again. I don't know. So this was aired in 1991 and was also on America's Most Wanted. And, and then 
Oh, yeah. So he was living under a different name in Florida, and his girlfriend and neighbors realized it was him. And But he realized before the episode aired that Unsolved Mysteries was going to be about him from reading TV Guide. Oh, for sure. So he was like, oh, Not fuck. the first time that's happened, I think. So, oh, fuck. So he went on the run, and his girlfriend remained in contact with him, which... Come on. What? So anyway, so the so the FBI placed his girlfriend under surveillance. And what happened was that she flew to England to meet him. And so then they found him by following her. And then he was arrested. Not and, bright, these ones. And was extradited back to the U.S. And that is now serving life imprisonment for the murder of Bill and also for escaping from prison. I realize we've talked about this before, but like... Yeah, you escape from prison, and then you just have to go back and finish your sentence. Like, I mean, he already had like a great deal. He yeah. didn't really have that much to lose. So, ugh. God. It's just, just, just sucking up to the warden. Yeah. Calling him sir all the time is super gross to me. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I right. don't know. It's like, what? I don't, I don't, maybe I'm being too mean. I just feel like that's really fucking stupid. If you were not like, oh, this guy's clearly trying to get this position to use it for nefarious purposes. Yeah, I mean, obviously. He's only been there like a couple months and he got like the most trusted. So it's like, what? Yeah, maybe test him out a little bit before Uh, you just throw them into that role. All right, this is a four mystery episode, which usually I like. But honestly, I'm going to warn you right now, as this episode went on, I paid less and less attention. Same. Hard same. So our next one is the Lost Loves, but it's... Don't get excited because it's not a good Lost Love. It is not. All right. Frank Joseph, or also known as Frankie Bloomer of Ziegler, Illinois, was a Navy seaman during World War II. He served as a radio technician aboard the USS Rowan, a destroyer operating in the Mediterranean Sea. On September 11th, 1943, the USS Rowan was sailing off the coast of Italy when it was hit by a torpedo from a German e-boat. The ship sank in less than a minute, and 202 American soldiers were killed. Since his body was never found, Frankie was considered missing in action, which we've talked about before. Yep. uh, Tisk, tisk. Yeah, less than a week later, Frankie's mother Jane saw a photo of three of the ship's survivors. She believed that the man in the middle of the photo was her son. She contacted Frankie's brother's wife, Dorothy, and the two compared photos of Frankie to the photo in the newspaper. They were convinced that the survivor was Frankie based on several facial characteristics. This reenactment is great because I love the kitchen and I love their outfits. Yeah, this has got some great fashion. But on another hand, I was like... I don't know that you really need outside opinions to think whether or not you recognize your son, but okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's not the greatest photo, I guess. It, it wasn't, but um, Jane later took the photo to a mortician who analyzed photographs, which, <laughs> which she just seems like a cool dude. He does, <laughs> but I'm suspicious of this. Oh, yeah. No, you, I, he, like, I don't know why he got to act like he was an expert on it, but... I do think it's kind of cool that their, like, local mortician was like, oh, and I also analyze photographs. <laughs> I'm branching out. In case that's something you need. So this man determined that Frankie uh, was the man in the photo. Jane contacted the Red Cross in hopes of finding out where Frankie might be. They told her to contact the War Department. However, they could find no more information about his possible whereabouts. 
Uh, sadly, Frankie's mother passed away in 1971, but she never gave up hope that he was alive somewhere. See, that's not good. After her grandmother's death, Frankie's niece, Janie, began to search for him. As a child, she remembered seeing his photograph at her grandmother's house. When she asked about him, she was told he was gone, but would come back someday. There's this weird reenactment where they're sitting at a table and Jane's just there and is like, what is this cake? And her grandmother is like, in a very monotone, creepy voice with dead this is eyes. like something from a ghost movie. It's like, that's Frankie's, it's Frankie's birthday. Today is Frankie's birthday, Samantha. Wouldn't you like a piece of cursed ghost Little cake? Janie is like, uh, is he coming back? And her grandmother is like, maybe someday. Maybe he'll haunt all of your <laughs> dreams. Eat up. <laughs> it wasn't even clear to me if they could eat the cake or if it just sat there in the corner of the table. It, this it was weird. segment is, again, just an example of, like, you need to be able to mourn properly. Yeah. It's just in causing this sort Generations of, of pain. Generations of trauma. It's yeah. rippling out. Now the niece is like, I feel like I have to solve it for them. And they're already dead. Like... <laughs> Oh, yeah. So in 1979, a gravestone was made for Frankie. Of course, he's not buried there. Janie hopes to find answers to the questions that haunted her grandparents their entire lives. Alive or dead, she hopes that her uncle Frankie can be found. So this is solved. After the story aired, Unsolved Mysteries received a letter from USS Rowan survivor Wayne Easterling. He stated that he was the man in the le- on the left of the photograph. He revealed that the man in the middle of the photo was not Frankie, but instead his friend Richard Hennessy, who died in 1974. Wayne also noted that attorney Chris Harvey was the man on the right. The bloomers, along with the Navy, now accept that Frankie died during the attack on the USS Rowan. Although it is not the news that the bloomer family had hoped for, they are glad that they have a resolution to their search at last. It's ridiculous to me that the War Department couldn't give her the names of those survivors at the time, or at least yeah. say, no, none of those are your son. I'm sorry. Those people have been accounted for. Yeah. Because she needed to be able to grieve for her son, and it just got put off so long that, that she died. Other generations of the family are now dealing with it, the ripples of this trauma. Yeah. So that was just kind of depressing. It's and... just, a, I'm, I'm sorry, but he's dead. Yeah. Like, even before it gets to the point where they're like, it's not even him in the photograph. Like, the whole time they're like, lady, I'm sorry, but he's not coming back. Like, at no, some point... He, if he was alive, why, where did they think he was? Obviously, he has amnesia, and he's just, like, wandering around. That was my big unanswered question, because they never explained it. Like, okay, so you think this might be him, but where is he? He didn't come home? Amnesia. Oh, right. Amnesia. He's wandering around out somewhere somewhere out there you know still fighting the war maybe yeah won't give it up yeah are we just putting off this last Uh, case i'm gonna drink more of this polar water the starfruit lemonade tastes kind of like a sour patch kid it does a little bit this tastes like really like it a really good um i'm not sure if it's sun kiss or crush But, like, less sweet. Oh, I'm excited to try that one. I love pineapple. So, when I saw that she sent us pineapple pomelo, yeah, I... feel I... like it tastes a little bit like pineapple crush, which oh, is... yum. Or pineapple um, Haritos. Oh. I can't wait to break mine yeah. open. Yeah. All right. We do have to talk about this, unfortunately. Okay. We've got a missing person. And, God damn it, Slam- Samantha, I want you to leave politics out of it. <laughs> oh, wait. That's impossible. Because this case is 
literally about abortion. <laughs> so good luck keeping it light. <laughs> This is the case of Judy Hames in Coral Gables, Florida. It dates back to September 14th, 1965. So the fashion in this, real great. So good. The actress that plays, is it Jody or Judy? Judy. Judy is banging. Yeah. Oh my God. She's wearing these like mod little shift dresses. Her hair has got that flip. I'm sure there's like a name for it, but where it's like a bob and it comes out. You know, for sure. Oh, so great. Okay, so she was a 22-year-old divorcee in Gables, Florida. She worked as a medical technician at the University of Miami Medical School at the Jackson Memorial Hospital. It says here on Ensemble Mysteries Wiki, in August 1965, she discovered she was pregnant. I don't know exactly how they know that because she kept her pregnancy a secret. Yeah. They're assuming this is what happened. Yeah, a lot of this has to be put together with conjecture because we don't know what happened to judy but it's believed that she found out she was pregnant she was not married and she did not tell anyone that she was pregnant because of the scandal that would have been right but by september 14th 1965 judy has vanished without a trace Now, supposedly on the day of her disappearance, she told her friend Marilyn Jackson that she was leaving work early to go shopping for a watch, which I feel like is very specific. But it almost makes sense because if you've ever dealt with someone that lies a lot, those lies get like... Very specific. (laughs) Like so many details and you're like, I don't know why I needed to know all that. Yeah. Because she took out $300 from the bank. Which... Okay, it, it was almost like she needed to tell someone what like, she was doing hey, with that money. Except, in, how would anyone know if she went to the bank and got three hundred dollars? She was like, "Oh, I'm spending this on a watch." Which so, are you people, could have told? You didn't need to say that. Like Samantha, do you know the last time I went to the bank? No, I do not. And also, if I told you I was going to buy a watch later, wouldn't you be like, "Hey, can I see that sweet watch you bought?" <laughs> right. And then we have to be like, "No." <laughs> It's a secret anyway, watch. It's a secret watch, not for your eyes. Quit asking about it. But anyway, so it, what it seems like is that she was actually leaving work early and getting money from the bank so that she could go get an illegal abortion, which I was surprised that this segment handled this, I felt like, in a pretty non-judgmental way. It sure did. Robert Stack was like, look, she didn't have enough. This was his exact quote. Look, she didn't have a lot of options, all right? <laughs> that, was, that was the tone. I didn't write down exactly what he said. But then... She didn't want to be in this position. Nobody would want to be in this position. But she couldn't exactly have the kid. And abortion was not legal. Yep. So what was she going to do? Her friend was also super non-judgmental. Yeah. She was like, I get why she did it. Yeah. It sucks, but I get it. And yeah, yeah. I I kind of like, what are you going to do? But also, what she had told me, but I get why she didn't. She seemed like a very cool, understanding friend. I felt bad for her. So supposedly, she went to the office of Dr. George Haju, who was an... Hungarian immigrant and posed as a physician. I was wondering if maybe he had been a physician in Hungary and he just wasn't credited in the United States. We're not really sure. But anyway, supposedly he had an office where he was performing illegal abortions. And it seems like she went to, but I'm not even sure how they know that she went to his office that day. That's the part that I, like, what is the evidence of that? It's weird because they didn't lay any out in the episode. They have to have some indication that that's where she went. Yeah. But they don't They're provide acting like that anything. is fact, but I don't know based on what. So that, it seems like that's her last known whereabouts, and then she's never seen again. Three weeks later, 
A rental car registered in her name is found 650 miles away in Atlanta, Georgia. On the back seat, traces of blood were found. Since this car had sat there for several days before being ex- discovered, investigators were unable to properly examine the rest of the vehicle. I did not understand why. Um, and a local resident spotted a man in his 30s parking the car and getting a duffel bag out of the back. Yeah. We never learn anything more about that. So three months later, George Haju is arrested for impersonating a physician. At the time of this episode, he had jumped bail and hadn't been seen since, and he was wanted for perjury charges. And they didn't know what had happened, still didn't know what had happened to Judy. He fled and the case went cold. What you get, the impression that I get from watching this is that the authorities were interested in arresting George Haju for performing abortions but did not give a flying fuck what happened to judy right i i don't know if maybe they could have done more with her car i don't really understand what the fact that it sat for a few days meant like the evidence was worthless that it was just like thrown out i was like well obviously they can't do anything with that and i was like but why right i don't know so then we get into this part that i think is just like I don't know. It's just a weird diversion. So almost 25 years later, the investigation had to be reopened because of this series of bizarre events. And it began in 1990 when a police captain, Chuck Shearer, went to a narcotics lecture in Omaha, Nebraska. And then he comes back. It's like uneventful. And then two weeks later, he received a phone call from a man claiming to be Steve Brown, a popular talk show host in Omaha, and he said an anonymous caller had given him information about Judy's disappearance. This guy, Shearer, is unfamiliar with the case, right? Decades have gone by. He doesn't know Judy. He didn't work on that case. He wasn't on the police department at that time. He has no idea what this caller is talking about or why he called him. He's like, oh, okay. And so he's supposed to call him back. So he calls back Steve Brown in Nebraska. But when he actually gets a hold of Steve Brown, Steve Brown doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Because he's not the person that placed that phone call. He doesn't know anything about Judy. He's never heard of the case. He certainly didn't have an anonymous caller call him with information. It's weird. It's really weird. He also, the caller had somehow given out his like unlisted phone number and not that many people had it so that's weird too yeah it's bizarre so then just the two of them are just confused (laughs) (laughs) like it doesn't help with the case in any way it doesn't really make sense but it seems like it's just a prank and then two days later i'm not even sure who maybe captain sheer gets a call from a woman who says that judy hames is alive she lives in omaha and when he asked for more information, the woman just repeated that several times and then hung up. So weird. And the calls led him to believe that she may be living somewhere in Omaha. So they put a article about her disappearance in a local paper, and she got he got yet another anonymous call, and that was about a police informant who had spent several... This is someone calling anonymously, claiming to be a police informant, who had spent several weeks with George Haju in Budapest, Hungary. The informant also gave him a, a phone number to reach him. So he contacts Interpol and gives them the number, but that just was someone with the same name? Okay. It wasn't him? And they... 
don't think that George is like making prank phone calls from Hungary <laughs> to the police department. Basically, that's all just a big fucking waste of time, and it's strange, but it has nothing to do with anything. I guess it's just prank phone calls. It's fucking weird, but it doesn't maybe shed just, any light on Judy whatsoever. Yeah, maybe just publicity of this kind attracts people who are wont to make these weird, horrible prank calls or something. But yeah, it's bizarre and has it leads to nothing. Okay, so what the authorities think happened is that so okay. Four days after Judy's case aired on Unsolved Mysteries, an, an anonymous letter was received by the Coral Gables Police Department. It stated that Judy was indeed deceased and that her death was due to an allergic reaction to a drug given during the abortion. According to the letter, her body was disposed of in Biscayne Bay near Miami. The police believe the letter is legitimate. I, I don't know what that's based on. And they have no explanation for the Nebraska phone calls. The speculation is that the calls were a cruel prank. And that the, the caller may have learned about the case through newspaper articles about Judy's disappearance. I, I mean, I agree that I think if she really went and had that abortion, so, that there was a complication and her body was disposed of. I tried Googling it just now, which I should have done before this, but there's not much out there. So what you find is basically what's been on unsolved mysteries there's a reddit yeah. thread about it and then she's on the charlie project and the charlie project says which is a resource for missing people says that she was last seen in the city where this abortion clinic was but that's all it gives us so yeah i read I'm through not sure. some, i read through the reddit threads i read through a couple other things it seemed to just be this information over and over again i couldn't find anything actually a placing her at the abortion clinic yeah, and or why they seem so confident that that happened. If she really did go and get an abortion, it makes logical sense, I guess, that she died during it and her body was disposed of. But I, I don't really know what that's based on. I'm her not sure. Friend I'm, at one point is like, I don't think that would happen to her because she had medical knowledge and she would have sought care and blah blah blah. But not if she was. But not if it's something sudden. Like I think lots of complications from illegal abortions were infections from unsterilized equipment, and so you would have had time to go to a hospital or whatever, possibly if yep. you felt like you were that was safe to but do. Have, yeah, and also we have no idea how he's performing this abortion. Is right. he sedating her? Was she unconscious? At Did the time. she have a reaction to anesthesia? That was Did sudden? she like it could have been who knows what? But I still just don't even know what that's fucking based on. We have no evidence. And what's there's a lot that's frustrating. But what's extremely frustrating about this case is the cops seem to give zero fucks. They apparently wanted to get this abortion doctor, but they just drop her her disappearance. I think they were trying to use. They would have been happy to use her death as an excuse to arrest the abortion doctor. But beyond that, they're not actually interested in finding out what happened to her. Yeah, because what Unsolved Mysteries tells us is that her case was just dropped. It doesn't say that it went cold or anything right. like that. It's like they gave. They no have this evidence about finding her with the car, and it doesn't seem like they follow up on it because it doesn't lead directly back to the doctor. It's useless to them. Yep. Did they try to find the man? that scene taking the duffel bag out of the trunk doesn't seem like it like they have a witness to that and it doesn't really seem like it's followed up on and if I, it was I, it's not i don't have that information here i know and i'm basing this off nothing because the episode gave us very little to go off of but i have to wonder if there was 
a mentality that it was her fault for getting oh, this illegal abortion. I think and that's so absolutely they true. were like, well, that's what you get. Yes. And that is so shitty. I mean, this segment is a real testament to the necessity of safe, legal abortions. Accessible. and Yes. Because that's not going to prevent abortions. It's just going to prevent safe abortions. Yep. So it's... I, I have this, like, tiny hope that she, like, left town to have her kid, like, in privacy, but that's not really what I think happened. But, no. like, that would be great. I would if love she to was, just believe that, though. Since so she was like, I don't have nothing else to go off. I'm going to move to another town and tell people my husband died and have this kid. But there's just not much here because I think the police did a shitty job. Yep. And Judy deserved better. You know, her friend was super cool. Her friend was like, I wish she was here now and had her kid because there's so much less stigma with single mothers, even just between when the, you know, when she first disappeared. She was like, she was willing to be like, the the stigma is gone. And I was like, that seems optimistic, but yay. But, (laughs) but I just don't believe that that segment would have aired and she wouldn't have called her friend. No. Because her, her friend was so cool. Would she have seen that and been like, oh, like that person does still want to hear from me after all these years and not gotten in touch to just be like, I'm okay. Yeah. So I, I do think that she's dead. We'll just probably never know what happens. And it's awful. It's, yeah. And the, if you're not in favor of safe legal abortions, we do not care and we do not want to hear from you. Thank you. It's that. Keep those comments to yourself. Yep. Okay, I can just feel those death threats coming in. That's a wrap on that episode. Yeah, let's rate that fucker. All right, mysteriousness. I mean, Judy's is mysterious, but it doesn't have like... I guess sometimes I think of mysterious as this like very specific quality. Like, we don't know what happened to Judy, but I almost wouldn't call it mysterious because it's just too... I don't know. I kind of understand what you're saying. It doesn't have that, like, storytelling sort of aspect to it, where it's just like, it's like, oh, no, she's probably dead somewhere. I think part of the reason why it doesn't feel that way is because we have nothing to go off of. Yeah, that's probably, it's just a dead end. So, I mean, in a way, that's mysterious, but but it's super unsatisfying. I guess the first one is mysterious, because we have no clue who killed... That's true. So, I... I, I, Tracy. And then we have, what, a stupid lost love and a wanted that's no longer wanted. So, So sideways. Thumb mm-hmm. sideways for mysteriousness. Reenactments were okay. That I mean, the acting in that ranch part is real, real bad. But other than that, I think they're pretty good. They were fine. Nothing yeah, they're fine. No. I'm not gonna like tell mm-hmm. you you need to see it. There's none. None of these segments. I'd be like, sit down. You gotta watch this woman who needs an abortion. There's That's... no Kurt McFall in this one. No. Uh-uh. The fashion also was okay, but it was really only in that one segment. No, no, no. Okay, I love. I feel like it gets better and better. So you get the boutique at the beginning that has this 80s, all these 80s clothes. And true, it's just like true. this hilariously 80s store. Then you have the World War II era fashions. Yes. With the little like bandanas and the victory rolls and the whatever. And then, yeah, by the end, it's just mod shift dresses. And I thought it was very good. Let's enjoy that. Thumbs up from me. All right. What else are we supposed to read in this? Robert Stack. Was he, he there? A, well, he had a variety of outfits. Okay, actually, I'm going to give him a thumbs up for... I I feel like clearly supporting a woman's right to choose. I think he seemed very progressive, at least in this segment. So, thought he gets... I. You're right. We did see some different looks for him, but I don't even care because he was clearly like, 
look, Judy Judy had to do what she had to do. Don't judge her. Yep. And I was up. like, thanks, Stack. Thumbs up. Thank you. Thumbs up. So, uh, yeah, out of a possible five Robert Stacks. Two and a half? Yeah. Two? Two. I think I'm landing on a two. Two. Didn't, it's the worst number it. in a way. Didn't love it. Two. Ugh, who well, cares? At least it's over. Hopefully, episode that was episode seventeen. Hopefully, episode eighteen is better. Let's hope. I I feel like in a way the highlight of this one for me was that yeah, there's just like randomly a psychic where they're like, <laughs> and now we talk to this psychic who a weirdo would call. And that mustache in the update I didn't oh, watch. Yeah. But other than that, not a lot of redeeming qualities to this one. No, it's 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 a bummer. It just gets sadder and sadder. Yeah. So it leaves you on just a very bitter note where you go, I hate this country. <laughs> Ugh. Yep. We can't even solve mysteries here. Blah. Can you uplift us with a recommendation? Blah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I can't. But I did realize that I should recommend something that I recommend a lot. Maybe there's something in your life that two people are just talking and you almost feel like you burst in to be like... <laughs> like, like the Kool-Aid man? Yeah, like? yeah. Like you're the Kool-Aid man bursting through the wall going, oh yeah. <laughs> but in my mind, Samantha's like, have you seen Game of Thrones? <laughs> That's been me all day. Where two people are just having a like casual conversation that sort of relates and you're like, here's the thing I want to talk about, <laughs> right? Well, I have a thing like that that I'm constantly recommending to people, and I feel like they're like, okay, I didn't really ask. And that's that I wash my clothes with soap nuts instead of detergent. That's true. You have you have told this to me before. Yeah, yeah. Samantha's like, yeah, you won't shut up about that. Yeah, well. Soap nuts is just hilarious to me. But. It really is. It seems like a fucking scam. And I know this because I used to sell soap, and we sold these, and I would try to explain them to people. And people would just look at me like, you know, like I was trying to sell snake oil, snake oil or <laughs> swampland or something. And I would have to go like, I know this sounds like it doesn't work, <laughs> but I literally washed the clothes that I'm wearing right now. And people would be like, all right. <laughs> but if you have chemical sensitivities or sensitivity to fragrance or you're just a cheap bastard... I would really recommend washing your clothes with these things called soap nuts or soap berries. Different, you can hear them right now, that's them. Uh, Different, you know, suppliers sell them in different packaging, but they're all the same fucking thing. They're just these dried out berry things. And it's something people used to use before detergent. And they just look like this. They look kind of waxy. Oh, can I hold one? Sure. I've never actually... She's like, I've heard you prattle on about this stupid thing. It looks like a little shriveled ball sack. Yeah, pretty much. Um, So you put four to five of these in just a bag, and you throw them in with your clothes, and they They kind of... smell like nothing. They kind of soap up, and that washes your clothes instead of detergent. What are they? Is this an actual nut? It's not a nut. So if you have nut allergies... it a tiny testicle? It is a tiny (laughs) testicle, otherwise known as a berry. (laughs) I was trying to see if this had the name of what it is. They're actually dried berries that grow in the Himalayas. When agitated in water, they produce a naturally occurring circophant called sapoin. These berries are commonly called soap berries or soap nuts because the fruit has a hard shell that resembles a nut. 
Thank you, box. Does resemble a nut. It can be used to soak as detergent and gently cleans or as fabric softener. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. You just throw in a few of these with your your, <laughs> your clothes and it washes them. What kind of bag do you put them in? Just, just any... like a little... Usually when you buy them, it comes with one. It's just okay. like a little muslin bag. Okay. Interesting. And, I should try them. Um, How long do they last? You know, it, this is... <laughs> I'm like looking at the instructions and it's like, how many... It says that they last for 10 washes. I feel like I use them for more than that. And then when you're done, you just compost them. Oh, okay. How do you know when they're used up? They they will fall apart. Oh, okay. So, you'll know. I should try some. I love using those wool dryer balls okay. instead of dryer sheets. Because I try and... I, I really do try and strive to eliminate as much, like, one-use things sure. or whatever. The amount of waste. And I, they work great. I love them. So, I would be all for... I don't I'm remember so exactly how much this box cost, but it says it does 100 loads on it. I feel like I'm going to get more out of it than that. And it's not expensive. So it's way cheaper than detergent. And also, if you have your, you know, if you live in an apartment building where your laundry is in the basement and you have to carry your detergent down the stairs with you, oh, yeah. you will appreciate only carrying five little dried up nuts in a sack <laughs> instead of hugging a huge thing of Tide down the stairs. Sure. You will. And yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just cheaper. I What I don't recommend it for is if you have a like smelly workout clothes. Okay. It's not, it's not going to cut it. I probably wouldn't use this on my husband's work clothes because he is yeah, a mechanic if you have things and that get, like heavily soiled. Like really musty towels or like something that's quite dirty. This is not going to cut it. Sure. But just for your regular, I use it for sheets. I use it for, Which you know, whatever. aren't that dirty. You know what I mean? Right. Like the clothes you wear every day, like. If something's like caked in mud, like, yeah, it's probably not enough. But just for, you know, your, your regular, regular laundry. Yeah. It's plenty. Mm-hmm. I've been using it for years. Works fine. Nice. And yeah, it's Great good if you are avoiding fragrances and stuff like that. Excellent. Well, I have some books. What? Did someone say soap nuts? And I just burst in. Hey. <laughs> no one just says no soap one. Nuts. No, but pe- what will happen is people will be like, oh, you know, my doctor told me that I should avoid fragrances. And I'm always like, oh, really? It, yeah. I have the solution for you. That's great because how many, how, it has to be impossible to find laundry detergent that's fragrance free. And if you find it, it's probably super expensive. Yeah, I think that's, I think there is some now. For a long time, I don't know that there was. I think there is now, but you know, this has got to be cheaper. All right. I have some books to recommend. Okay. I feel like it's been a hot minute since I've recommended some books. I think that books. is true. But I've been reading a lot of books. And Samantha wants you to know she can still read. <laughs> she didn't forget while she was in San Diego. I need to recommend because some of them haven't been that great. But <laughs> it happens. So for February, even though the snow has kept us from meeting with our book club, Liz chose a book called Cannibalism by Bill Shute. Shute? I'm not Shute. sure how to pronounce his last name. I'm not I think sure it's either. Anyway, um, it's a great book. I do recommend it. It's not my main recommendation for today, but it's all about, you guessed it, cannibalism. It's, it's funny. It's a lighter read than I expected, and I appreciate that. Because it's primarily about, because he's a biologist, this author, so it's primarily about cannibalism in the animal kingdom. I learned a lot. I learned that um, female praying mantises do not eat their mate after they have sex. I know. It's so sad. They just do that in the lab when they don't have enough food. Yeah. If you starve a praying mantis and put it in a cage and make them fuck, then (laughs) then the larger one, which happens to be the female, will eat the male. There is a type of spider in Australia, though. The redback spider does it, so... 
worship them instead of the praying mantis. True. Uh, I learned more than I ever wanted to know about hyenas' giant clitorises and how babies babies burst from them. <laughs> that yeah. was horrible. I feel like every page of that book taught me something that's like the most fascinating thing I've ever heard, and then I have to tell Mac right away. <laughs> like, did you know? And then I'm like, of course he doesn't. Like, no. Did you know that hyenas give birth from their clitorises? <laughs> No, thanks, Liz. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> that was a That's visual. also me bursting in. Did you know <laughs> anthropologists cannot agree if there's ever been a group of people who regularly practiced cannibalism? I found that fascinating. That it might all be myths. Yeah. So, th- I love that book, but I wanted more about mad cow disease which is that's the most samantha sentence i have ever heard yeah it's like yeah i enjoyed this book about cannibalism but it was a little light on mad cow disease. i wanted more more mad cow disease because there's nothing more samantha than wanting to think about how you're the fact your brain could just have holes in it to the become point a sponge that you can't i'm sick just thinking about it so this recommendation is not for liz (laughs) but i uh googled what are some books about mad cow (laughs) that's in our history forever (laughs) and i came up with this book called deadly feasts by richard rhodes and it was a quick read it was like an eight hour audiobook uh actually it might have even been shorter than that it might have been like three hours anyway it was Excellent, And it wasn't just about mad cow disease. It was about any disease that is a result of prions, which we learned in cannibalism is a bit of like the the scientific community is not in agreement on whether or not those even exist. Oh, science. But um, this book went into a lot more detail about the perhaps existing cannibalism in human various human civilizations around the globe. Um, it went into a lot of detail about all of the different diseases you could potentially get from these prions. It was super fascinating. I don't recommend it for the squeamish, and I don't recommend it for someone who might be easily frightened away from eating meat, which maybe that'd be a good thing. I don't know. Uh, I will say that it's it's frightening, this mad cow disease it's type thing terrifying because i guess i didn't realize how easy it is to pass it along like even yes. like some scientists think that even stopping eating meat might not even keep you safe from these diseases it's scary uh, but i'm not easily frightened by those things so it wasn't keep, it's I, not keeping me up and I, I thought it was fascinating of course you did but i'm a weird person <laughs> so <laughs> but that's what we love about you it's really good um I, I will not be listening to it. I will say I've gone on like a little like deadly disease books about deadly disease like of binge. course. Uh-huh. I got I got two more, which one I oh, finished. <laughs> so uh-huh. this led me down a road because it was only three hours. I was like, I need I still need more. I'm not satisfied. So I also got this book called Beating Back the Devil by Marin McKenna. I believe Marin McKenna worked at one point, or maybe still does, for the CDC. And she follows, basically, um, this group of, they call them, like, disease investigators. I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head their full details, but it's people that, basically, different doctors will get recruited into this program from the CDC where they are trained to be, um, I don't remember what it's called if you're investigating deadly diseases. But 
apparently the CDC had this problem where they didn't have enough people that were going into this field of researching deadly diseases. Yeah, I wonder why. So they started recruiting other doctors and veterinarians into this program and training them basically in-house. And she follows a bunch of these doctors that were in this one class as they investigated uh, all of these different, like... Uh, anthrax was on there and you get to learn a lot about their process that they go through through training and I found that book to be extremely interesting I listened to it um, to and from uh, Minnesota on my my business trip and that one was less gross so I think if you would be interested by people that his whole job is to investigate diseases and go around the world and um, hunt them down and try and figure out how to you know, minimize these outbreaks of deadly hmm. diseases. I think you would be That's really interesting. interested in that. The other one I'm reading at the moment is called The Demon in the Freezer, and I'm not sure how much... Th- that one's by Richard Preston. I'm not sure how much I'm liking this one so far. I think it might just be the delivery of the narrator who's a little bit dry. Sure, yeah. But this one is specifically, I think... I'm only a few hours into the audiobook, but this one is specifically following um, the history of certain diseases that are, like, locked away in the secret... Like, the, I just finished the section about smallpox, where they talked about the last smallpox epidemic and the um, effort to eradicate it, which that was really interesting to learn about the different methods that epidemiologists, I remembered the name. I've only read three <laughs> books about these people. <laughs> I finally remembered the name. Um, the methods they use to contain and eradicate smallpox from the earth. But now it's a big problem with if someone had smallpox and weaponized it. They could sure. wipe out, you know, tons and tons of people. Um, but they talk about, like, basically, so smallpox is, like, in the CDC and it's super secret. And, they're you know, they discuss the history of it. And, you know, the CDC doesn't just tell you where they keep smallpox. So there's all what? these, like, rumors and stuff about it. That one is written a little bit more, like, almost a fiction thriller type novel. So I'm liking know. that. But... Huh. I don't know. I'm a, I'm weird. Mostly these are the books you've I read like these read. books and you've gone, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't vaccinate people. That's been your reaction to learning about all <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. these horrible diseases. Definitely. You've been like, you know what? Vaccines. You know what doesn't the work? Worst. Vaccines. Yeah. Um, you might be interested to know that I am not allowed to donate blood because I was in England for more than six months in the 80s. And therefore, interesting. could have mad cow disease. Oh, interesting. I probably don't have mad cow disease. You're probably safe. But <laughs> I still can't donate blood, so this sorry is, about that. Yeah, so in that book, Deadly Feast, they talk about how it was passed around in blood transfusions. Yeah. Um, because people didn't know that it could be in blood. And so... They talk a lot about how scientists went about discovering that it can be passed from person to person because it wasn't Ugh. believed to be able that, to do that. that. That disease really freaks me out. It's scary. And it freaks me out to think about the brains for some reason. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Yeah, I don't like I will it. Say I don't like it at all. The last, so the, the final little chunk of that book, Deadly Feast by <laughs> Richard Rhodes, uh, is sort of his thesis about how like it's not a great idea to eat meat and that... As long as civilizations around the globe are engaging in meat eating, there's always going to be a risk that these diseases are going to sprout Hmm. up. Um, And I was eating meatballs (laughs) (laughs) at my desk on my lunch break at work, listening to the finishing this audiobook, and I'm like biting into a beef meatball (laughs) while he's telling me that I might get bad cow disease from eating. Oh, great. So that, yeah. Well, that's just like a full sensory experience then. If you're weird like me, you can find my uh, 
my Goodreads handle in our Facebook group. Someone asked for it recently, and I was like, just so you know, I weird some, I read some weird shit, but here think, you go. I think they already know. They probably do. I don't think it's a secret. I'm on my fourth book about epidemiologists and deadly diseases, so. At some point when I was looking up the cannibalism book, I saw that there's a book about animals that drink blood. Ooh, interesting. That I think we should also read. I was disappointed to find that... So I really like that book by Richard Rhodes about mad cow disease. And I was disappointed to find that his other books are all about the atom bomb. Oh. That's like all he's written about. And I think he's acclaimed for it. But that's not... That interests me not at all. And so I was... Because I was like, oh, surely this guy's written some other good shit. Which I think he has. But it's not something that would interest sure, me. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So he's written like six books about the A-bomb. Hmm. So if that interests you, he's a good author. Okay. So. Can't say that it does. <laughs> Doesn't interest me. I can't even pass on that as but well. But someone. Okay. Might. Everyone. Thank you. Hugs to you all. You're the best. You're the best. So you can find us on the social medias. And perhaps it's you. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You could email us your paranormal tale. Please, 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 please. We got some we good want ones. your paranormal tales. That's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. There's also a form on our website www.perhapsitsyou.com. We will be reading those paranormal stories on our season finale. I think we've actually, we got enough. We've, they've been rolling in. Yeah. The most recent one, I, so we're not reading these emails, but I did <laughs> see a subject line that said something like, Zach Bagans cursed my apartment? Question yeah. mark? I don't know. Whoever you are, you know who's sent that in. I haven't read the email, but that, that subject we're line intrigued. really intrigued we me. We are intrigued. Um, so get those in so we can do our season finale. And you should rate us five out of five Robert Stacks on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That's the best. If you could do that, throw us some money your way if you have a little bit extra jingling around at the bottom of your purse. Yeah. We have new tiers. Uh, Our second coloring sheet went out last week. Yes. For Hero Dog Mustache, as played by the two pod dogs. Yes. They're adorable. You can see what that looks like on our Instagram page. Have you ever colored a guillotine before? No? Well, now's your chance. No. Now's your chance. Also, our uh, super duper mystery solver gifts are going to go out in April. So look forward to that. Yeah, I, th- I feel like I should clarify slightly. So Patreon is not really set up for... <laughs> we wanted to do like a quarterly gift for people who were donating the, the highest tier, the super duper mystery solvers. So like, oh, every three months we'll send you something special. Well, that means you have to be signed up for three months the payment's got a process for three months for you to get the thing. Does that make sense? I think it does. I just wanted to clarify that. Yes. So after you've been signed up for it for three months, then you then you'll get, get the thing. Yes. So that means that when the payments are processed at the beginning of April, we will send out the first batch to the first peoples who signed up. Yes. Blech. I feel like this is like not that weird of an idea to do something quarterly, but Patreon is like, once monthly no other options yeah if anyone from patreon is listening the (laughs) other thing is that we created these tiers after we set up our page like we didn't know what we wanted at first so we had one tier and as we grew we decided to add more tiers the people that were already giving us money weren't 
automatically put into those tiers. Yeah, we'll so figure if, it out, but it's just annoying. So if you look at our super duper mystery solver tier, there is people in it, but there's actually more people giving that money. They're just not like in the tier. So it doesn't make it easy for you to just send things out to those people. You have to right. like, sort them and actually go out and you know, like find them. But if so, you've been giving us $10 or more all along, you are going to get something special yes, in April. Yes, that's the point. I hope that made sense. I hope it makes sense. Also, uh, we will have a new Patreon bonus episode that goes out to all of our patrons. At the end of this month, we're doing Chicken People, the documentary. I really have no idea what I'm in for. It's it's something. (laughs) It's it's something special. Okay. Uh, Also, thoughts on whether in April we should do my most favorite thing to hate watch, which is the movie 8 Millimeter. Okay. Let Samantha's like, I don't know what that is. It's these, a movie I, I've heard of but never seen. I like that these things also have absolutely fucking nothing to do with each other. <laughs> Chicken words, People like, documentary. <laughs> or a Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, sure. Yes. We do it all here. Perhaps it's you. Yeah. You all should send us some recommendations because we've gotten to the point where we've like caught up with what we've wanted to do for Patreon and we're just kind of deciding month to month and that's how we land on things like the Chicken People documentary. So... <laughs> We want to hear from you and give you what you want. So if that doesn't interest you at all, send us some recommendations. How could it, how could it not? I if don't understand. Like, Isn't this an Unsolved Mysteries podcast? Why are you doing this documentary about people that show chickens? <laughs> well, because it's us. Because we mentioned it once, I think. And now here we are. Here we We're going to spend $2 to watch the Chicken People documentary on Amazon. Oh my goodness, $2. We'll yeah. never get it back. Well, okay, well, I think that's everything. Yeah. Uh, survive winter. Oh, if you can. Yep. Solve some oh, mysteries. Oh, and also solve mysteries, but more importantly, solve survive winter. Bye, bitches. Bye. <laughs>